This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and immane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed Everybody knows the war is over Everybody knows the good guys lost Everybody knows the fight was fixed The poor stay poor, the rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Everybody knows. We got your fireworks right here, folks. A First Nations community up in Ontario, or Northern Ontario, may be giving Loch Ness Monster a run for its money. There are reports uh, from a uh, remote community a few hundred kilometers south of Hudson Bay which say a strange creature was pulled from a local creek earlier this month, a creature some are calling a monster. And uh, photos of the furry, bald-faced creature were posted on the official website of the Big Trout Lake community and have since caused a flurry of speculation on the Internet. We hope to get in touch with uh, our very own dinosaur, uh, Hunter. <laughs> I won't call him a dinosaur. He wouldn't appreciate that. He's a dinosaur hunter, folks. Uh, Dr. Uh, Bill Gibbons. Uh, we're trying to reach him to see if uh, he can comment on this amazing story. A, uh, some are calling it a monster pulled out of a, uh, a creek a few hundred kilometers south of uh, Hudson Bay here in Ontario. Welcome to the program. And last week I mentioned my uh, my niece, Claire, who's over in Botswana. Uh, she attends the University of Guelph, and uh, this summer she decided to try and make a difference. And uh, so she's over there with some other students working with orphans that are living with uh, HIV. And uh, she's currently trying to... Uh, to to help build a house over there. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to, uh, to hopefully reach her next week on her cell phone. Next Sunday night, we'll uh, have a brief chat with my, uh, my niece because I think what she's doing over there is so admirable and important. And I hope to find time tonight to, uh, to read a little bit from her blog. Uh, 
uh, as um, she's chronicling what I'm sure will go down as the trip of a lifetime. Uh, it's not about you know doing the touristy things, although apparently she's been to a game farm and uh, or a a, uh, a game park to see elephants. And I mean, of course, you're going to do those sorts of things. But what's going to make this memorable is that the lives that uh, she's touched and the lives that have touched her. So um, I'm so proud of uh, of uh, my my niece, and uh, she's. Um, She's going to join us next week, we hope. What else is going on? Well, how would you feel if I were to tell you that the Antichrist is set to take the stage, not in some distant future, but in this very generation? He's here. He's, he's now walking the earth. The only thing that remains is for him to reveal himself. My... Uh, guest tonight has been with me uh, in the past several years ago. It's been a while. And uh, there is a, uh, a new audio edition of her uh, latest book, which is why we're having uh, Dr. Joy Jeffries Pugh back on the program. She's an alumnus of South Georgia College, Valdosta State College, and Nova University, where she received her doctorate in education. Her background involves working as a researcher, counselor, mental uh, health professional, human services director and consultant. And her complete biographical history is featured in Who's Who in the World, Who's Who in America. I always wondered, how do you get in Who's Who? Well, maybe we'll find out. She's a member of the National Society of the Daughters of the American Revolution and a descendant of Dr. John Taliaferro, a Minuteman who fought during the American Revolution. She's the daughter of the late Stella and C.B. Jeffries III, and she's married to Melvin Eugene, Melville Eugene Pugh. She's written three books and one abridged and updated audio edition. These include Antichrist, the cloned image of Jesus Christ, which came out in December of 1999, uh, Colors of Joy, August of 75, Eden, the Knowledge of Good and Evil, 666, which came out uh, just over, a f oh, three and a half years ago. And the audio uh, version, Eden, Eden, the Knowledge of Good and Evil, updated and abridged edition, which came out in January of 2009, is now available. But I mentioned Antichrist, the cloned image of Jesus Christ, which is uh, available at armageddonbooks.com and through the author. But get this, it reached number one and has continued in Armageddon Books' top ten bestsellers for all of 2008 all of 2009 and the first uh, four or five months of this year. A pleasure to, uh, to have Dr. Joy Jeffries Pugh back on the program. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show, Dr. Joy. Hi, Richard. How are you doing tonight? I'm well, thank you. Eden, the knowledge of good and evil, 666. First of all, I, it came out, um, as I say, in 2006, but now you've got an audio version. What uh, prompted that? Well, when I, um, I had a mother that was fighting cancer, and she was unable to really read uh, the book that I had written, Eden, The Knowledge of Good and Evil. And so when I went back to do the audio edition of that, I thought, well, I'm going to do it and, and just change it around a little bit so that the audio edition will, will be like a supplement to the book itself. So if you had read the book, that the audio edition would also be a greater uh, influx of information to 
to tie in with what the steps had been set in Eden. It took me seven years to put the book Eden, the Knowledge of Good and Evil, together. And you will find that because of the intense amount of, of research that went into that, that anything that you can rewrite or expound upon, it still sets you with an understanding that we are living in a time that we are going to see this man called the Antichrist take the stage and do certain things that I believe that I've been able to piece together that will be quite interesting for people, especially uh, that maybe listen to your show, because a lot of the things that fall into place involve a lot of things concerning conspiracy theory. Instead of people trying to look at it in the light of truth, it's been pushed out into the realm of conspiracy. But the more that I've done the research and in writing these books and in doing the audio was to show that while some people may believe that it's fiction, it's not. It's really nonfiction work. It's very researched, and it shows you that they may want to call it conspiracy all they want to, but it's really the truth that we're trying to tell the, you know, the people about it. Well, ultimately, uh, Dr. Joy, there is, you know, at the, at the root of it, uh, when we talk about conspiracies, there's one uh, conspiracy, as you say, which is, which is underlying all of this, uh, as far as I'm concerned, anyway, and 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 that is uh, the ultimate battle uh, between good and evil, where we uh, mortals are the pawns and the prize in this uh, this battle of spiritual warfare. But um, let's uh, let's talk about this uh, plan to to bring the Antichrist to the world stage, and and this is one that you say has been obviously traveling through history for thousands of years. Um, well, take us back. I mean, how, how far back does it go? And, and, and uh, give us sort of a, a thumbnail sketch of the important steps along that, that path to prepare the way for the Antichrist. Well, I think that, you know, it, it's imperative, again, like you just said, for people to understand that that there is this major conspiracy, and it all ties together based on something that happened a really, really long time ago, and that all conspiracies have really funneled themselves out from this one major problem that seems to have happened in something that the Bible calls the Garden of Eden. And that was one of the reasons, Richard, that I went back to do a lot of research uh, in my book, Eden, starting with the Garden of Eden, because many times throughout I guess our lives, we have been given maybe what I call fairy tales or either like little stories, and our foundation of understanding what really happened in the garden may have been um, not, you know, you didn't really pinpoint exactly what was happening and why it was so important. It seems that it's been one of those kinds of things that throughout history, we've heard the stories that Adam and Eve and they ate the, the forbidden fruit and all of a sudden they got kicked out of paradise and and kind of we ended up the way that we are today from their wrongdoing. But when you go back and you really do the research on this and you really look at the, the fine print of exactly what really happened in the Garden of Eden and why was it so bad that we have ended up in a situation where we're constantly having to fight against good and evil. And so that was important for me to lay the groundwork or to lay the foundation so that when people start understanding what conspiracy is all about, that they can find the avenue to be able to put the pieces together as we've gone through history up until today. 
And I know a lot of people, when they want to read my book, Even the Knowledge of Good and Evil, they want to run to the last chapter where it talks about the Antichrist. But if you, if you really, truly want to understand how all this happened, you've got to start at the very foundation of the beginning and then build on that foundation. It was something for me as a person to try to find answers for, for you know, questions that I had not ever been able to find an answer for. So when I began doing this research, it was really for myself because I truly wanted to know what are we doing here? Why is all this happening? Why is there always a good and, and bad situation in all things? And so many of the things that we hear out in the what I call the, the paranormal realm or whatever, it's thrown off as it's either the mythology or it's just, you know, somebody's making it up or it's science fiction. But when you start looking at all the little avenues of connectability, I guess is the only word I know that they can come together in, is that you find out that they all had a really major start a long, long time ago, and it all funnels itself right back to the Garden of Eden. So that was one of the reasons that I chose when I did my work on this on this book, Eden and All is Good Evil, to start there in the garden. All right, let's so start in the garden the when we of that. when we come back, uh, Doctor Joy. We'll head back to the garden and uh, the encounter in the garden with the serpent, which will lead us secretly through history for a, uh, an ancient plan to ensure the Antichrist comes to power in this generation. Who is he? How and when will he make his appearance known? What do George Bush, Princess Diana, Mel Gibson, Harry Potter, UFOs, and Prince William all have in common? Listen and find out. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. A conspiracy culture... Uh, Press for Truth and The Conspiracy Show with yours truly are presenting a a documentary, a theatrical premiere of a documentary, United We Fall, on Friday, June the 18th, 2010. United We Fall, Three Nations, Two Sides, One Union. It's a, a documentary about a North American union that's being developed right now between Canada, the United States, and Mexico. And again, that's Friday, June the 18th, at uh, the Bloor Cinema here in uh, Toronto. And the doors open at 6.30. The movie starts at 7. The event is general admission seating. And the location, again, the Bloor Cinema, 506 Bloor Street, Western Toronto. And for uh, ticket information, you can also purchase your ticket at uh, Conspiracy Culture. Uh, Tickets are $10 each and can be secured, as I say, several ways. uh, Through Conspiracy Culture. Conspiracyculture.com is the website. And also, I'll be uh, uh, presenting the film and conducting a Q&A session before the film, starting in around Ryan Law, who I hope we'll have uh, on this program in the next week or two. Uh, we'll be conducting a Q&A session after the film. All right, uh, back to a very pressing matter. What could be more pressing than the arrival of the Antichrist in this very generation? So says Dr. Joy 
uh, Pugh, the author of Eden, The Knowledge of Good and Evil, 666. All right, so uh, obviously there's a, a huge swath of history uh, here to cover that we, we wouldn't have possibly have time for, uh, Dr. Joy, but uh, take us uh, back to the the genesis, obviously, the genesis of this this plan. We go to the Garden of Eden and the serpent uh, that encounters uh, uh, Eve. Do you want to pick the story up from there? What? That, that, I think that's the thing right there is that before the serpent shows up, everything seems to be going pretty good <laughs> in paradise. And unfortunately, this being that's very crafty and very intelligent and something that apparently Adam and Eve were not at the least bit afraid of. So it was not some grotesque, ugly, you know, mean-looking being that was trying to talk with them. And I think, if anything, it parallels in times, because if you look at the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life that we're in the midst of the garden there, that when you look at the book of Revelation, the tree of good and evil is no longer in paradise at the end of the book of Revelation. So it's telling you that there's something about the fact that the serpent shows up in that tree that doesn't exist in paradise. In other words, we're going to go from paradise with Adam and Eve back to paradise again as far as the end of time is concerned. So something is going to be left out, and it appears to me that through all the research I've done, is that that good and evil tree that that serpent was either feeding them from or giving them information will not make it back into paradise. Now, it sounds like you said that... Sorry, Dr. Joy, but let me stop you there, because this is interesting and and key. Uh, We've always sort of been led to believe that uh, uh, Satan or uh, Lucifer appeared to Adam and Eve as a serpent, but you're saying that that's not true. Well, I think that what we have been taught is that the serpent was a snake, and I think that's the thing that people need to really go back and read what the Bible says. It doesn't say a snake. It says a serpent. And then that matches what is told at the end in Revelation in regard to the great red dragon, the old serpent. So we know that the serpent of Revelation is the same serpent that was there with Adam and Eve in the garden. But I I really beg to differ with anyone that it is a snake that was there. And unfortunately, I think there's one of the foundation um, groundwork things that were laid in our minds in regard to a, a you know like a snake wrapped around a tree and he's got this uh, apple that he's looking over you know at Eve and trying to get her to pick the apple um, I, I think we, we've got to get back to the truth that something very much happened there in the garden that would cause the creator God to be so upset and it had to be something in regard to a mixing that went on because as you parallel that to the end of time you find that we have at the end in Revelation something that's called the whore of Babylon and that was in in context it means the mixing of really pagan with spiritual and unfortunately something happened in the garden that displeased God so much, and it had to be something in regard to, in, to the mixing. And the, when we look at the Bible, it specifically says that when God comes against uh, this serpent, he says to Adam and Eve and to the serpent, I will put intimacy between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Well, what that's saying is, is there had to be an intimacy between a lineage that was formed there. And so a lot of people, you know, want to say things like, you know, the serpent seed theory and that kind of thing. But 
what before I ever heard anything about serpent seed, I tried to look at what is the foundation, what is the Bible really telling us, and it seems to me that we are totally explained to that Adam and Eve were in fact married before that serpent showed up. But then after he showed up, there's a problem with something that happened with Adam and Eve and that serpent because at this point in time, now we're talking about a curse, and we're talking about a lineage curse. We're talking about seeds being being cursed. And the only thing that when we see, you know, seeds, then that becomes like, um, you know, a, a lineage of something. And apparently it was so bad that something had been mixed at this point that it would force death upon humanity. It would also force this supposed serpent to have to eat the dust of the ground and, and whatever. And so when I began doing the research and understand what is dust, you know, that it's, it's dead particles, it's things that, that, that dead are. And when I looked at this, I'm like, okay, this may mean a lot to us, but we're, we're missing the whole understanding that we live in a world of things that are constantly dying and there's cells and you know, just even the flaking of your skin cells that fall off. But also there is the understanding, if you look at a lot of the books that were written, especially in the esoteric realm, and some of the books that didn't even get included in the Bible, where you have the sons of uh, darkness and the sons of light, there's a difference between these lineages and what's going on, and they're also fighting for good and evil. Let me just summarize. So when I looked at the- Let me, if I could, uh, Dr. Joy, just uh, summarize, because um, you, you're, you're, you've said some very obviously important things here. Uh, number one, uh, that it sounds like you're describing uh, w- um, a lineage issue here that, that Eve knew the serpent. Uh, in, in other words, uh, uh, was impregnated by the serpent or by Satan. Uh, and uh, when you talk about the curse, uh, you, are you talking then about the, the mark of Cain? We have Adam and Eve's children, Cain and Abel. Cain slew Abel. Are you saying that Cain was the spawn of Satan? Well, from the research that I've done, and that was really a shock to me because, you know, I never really thought about that through the the courses of being able to put pieces together. But when I really had to come to terms with the fact that there's something very unique about Cain, the fact that he was is called the murderer. And when you go back and you look at Revelation, the Bible specifically says it was the red dragon, the old serpent, the, he was a murderer from the beginning. So I'm like, okay, I can understand how demon possession can happen to people and how those demonic entities have lived throughout history because we know that Jesus Christ, one of the first things that he did when he uh, started doing miracles and whatever was to drive demonic beings out of people. So we know that there are demonic beings and that they can inhabit the body. But it was it was more telling you that it was more like he was a part of the serpent or a part of, of something that happened with the murder. And, you know, if you look at the DNA of what Adam and Eve would have produced, you, you've got to figure that God made Adam and he had the breath of life, and that was the way that he had created him in perfectness and then when he took the rib out of Adam and he made Eve, there was a DNA that still would have been a perfected DNA so that their children would have still been of a good lineage with good DNA. So you're kind of like, well, if a person has that and there was no transition in the DNA, 
why did you get someone like Cain, who was totally being rebellious, who seemed to be the person who wanted to do his own thing, who did not want to worship God or follow the lineage? And if, if anything, Adam and Eve had already found out that when you don't do what God says, there's a problem. So you know that he, they had told their children, look, this is the way this is. We were once in the garden. This is what God expects. We didn't do it. You know, you're supposed to bring your first fruits to the Lord, and this is the way it just works. But Cain never did follow the path of what I think someone should have learned, DNA-wise, or being a part of the family. And when you look on it, it, the lineages of Adam, where it starts talking about Seth, it never mentions Cain. And since Cain was the first son, throughout history, the first son would be noted in all areas of the lineage, but Cain is left out of that as a total entity, uh, um, you know, up until its own self, even through the, the course of Genesis. And when it talks about what uh, I believe was in Genesis 6-4 about the sons of God coming upon the daughters of men and that they had these, these strange children and that they became these giants and, and men of renown and that kind of thing. And I'm like, Okay, if you had a certain DNA again, it's like Mendel's peas. You know, if you don't have something to make a variation of white, black, red, and whatever, you would have continued replicating the same DNA process, but you wouldn't have had a difference in that DNA. So something had to have been different about Cain's lineage, or either when they were producing with these, uh, what I would say were fallen angels, and producing these giants, that was the only way you could get like a, a a deviation in the DNA. All right, let me and just... Uh, that... Sorry, uh, Dr. Joy, let me just... Uh, I, I will take a time out here in a moment, but let me just sort of move ahead here. Uh, it, it it then comes down to this, I'm guessing. Uh, as we... As you look at the the uh, the lineage of um, of mankind and, and ultimately tracing it back to Adam, uh, that means that you would either trace it back through Adam, uh, uh, Abel to Adam, or you would trace it back through Cain to Adam. So if you're tracing one's uh, bloodline back through Cain, that would tend to suggest that we're looking at a, a demonic or satanic bloodline versus those that are tracing back through Abel, Correct. Well, you would actually trace him back to Seth because Abel apparently did not have any children. Ah. Nothing's mentioned about Abel ever having any children. So the, the lineage that would go straight back from uh, uh, to Adam would be through Seth's lineage. And, of course, Seth's lineage is the one that goes on and produces, uh, of course, Noah through the flood and right. then Noah to King David and then to Jesus and that, and that way. But uh, two, parallel, to, two parallel bloodlines, though. Yeah, it would be, exactly, it would be two parallel bloodlines that have existed, and interesting enough, those bloodlines are actually still in a parallel, because I show in my book, Eden, that uh, you, you know, we know that when Jacob had his 12 sons, that, that when um, um, Joseph, when he died, his lineage split between his two sons, and it actually gave him like 13 total uh, bloodlines there. And interesting enough, in doing the research with the Illuminati, there are 13 Illuminati or serpentine bloodlines to parallel Jacob's bloodline. And I find that very interesting that with the, the exact number 
that would be paralleling, but I showed that through history that's exactly what has happened. Anything that seems, and, and like I say, it all started the garden because I think that the serpent was playing like he was impersonating good. And I think that's how Eve got so entrapped and could not tell a, the truth from a lie. And it concerns me because when reading and doing the research on you know the book of Revelation and, and the times, is we're living in today, it's getting harder and harder to be able to tell the truth from the line. The Bible tells us that's exactly what's going to happen. True enough. All right. We'll be back with uh, Dr. Joy Pugh, Eden, the knowledge of good and evil. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Dr. Joy Pugh is with me. The author of Eden, The Knowledge of Good and Evil... In a, uh, a previous book, uh, she details, you know, we talk a lot about, or I talk a lot about the, the Shroud of Turin because I, I find it to be an absolutely incredible artifact, uh, relic, in fact. It, it, it is an, a relic rather than artifact. It does uh, contain uh, uh, blood, human blood samples, uh, which I'm inclined to believe are uh, the uh, the bloodstains of Jesus Christ. I just think the evidence is so compelling. I... Uh, uh, I've done just about every Easter, I think, for the last 10 years, I've done a show on the Shroud of Turin. But in her previous book, she talks about how a samples, a DNA samples, were extracted from the bloodstain on the Shroud, cloned. And uh, uh, this clone, in fact, uh, is, is the Antichrist. But we'll get into, we'll probably end up there at some point this evening. But uh, for now, we're going back to the... Uh, the uh, the book of Genesis, and finding out about uh, how perhaps the uh, the curse of Cain actually came about because not only did Cain slew his brother Abel, Cain being the firstborn of Adam and Eve, but perhaps Cain was in fact the spawn of Satan, uh, born or brought about by the uh, the commingling of uh, uh, the serpent in the Garden of Eden and, and Eve. And that... Uh, this bloodline through Cain continues to this day, and and this is the group. This is the group. This that can that can uh, um, draw its lineage back to, in fact, the serpent that is trying to bring about the uh, the Antichrist. Is that true, Doctor Joy? Yes, it, it, very much is what I had tried to show in Eden. You know, that this is exactly what has happened because. When you stop and think about Cain, of course, he received a mark. And I find it interesting that every kind of king or priest king that existed either prior to the flood or thereafter all had these coat of arms. And that in their coat of arms, they represented these dragon kings. It was like they were wanting to rule the world. And that's what I think, that Cain didn't want to acknowledge God. He wanted to be over able. And that right there, there was a, a talking about a mark. And then I find it interesting that a so-called mark or coat of arms developed 
out of all of that, and then that mark was kind of like an X mark. It was not like a cross, as we know it, you know, cross of what we would say Jesus was crucified on the cross. This is more like an X mark, where the X are all equal as far as the, um, the lengths of it. And if you look at this and you follow it through the flood, you find that after the flood, Ham's lineage seemed to be the one that was the weakest link. And his prodigies, all the people that came from his lineage, became, became back involved, what I think was with fallen angels, because you still had like a DNA of, of um, you know, the giants that existed after the flood that Moses was told to stay away from, that there was something unique about them. They had six fingers, six toes. I mean, something really strange DNA was going on there. And I've been able to show that I think that it was Ham's lineage that got through the flood and brought back that knowledge of this megalithic building because Nimrod, which was his grandson, went in, he married his, he actually married his mother, which I, I try to explain that Ham probably was involved with his mother and that was why uh, Noah was caught in nakedness, but that would take a whole show to talk about. So I want to move forward and just say that there was a, you know, that there was a lineage problem with Ham, and that that lineage problem, once it got into Nimrod, and we can go back and look at some of the Sumerian texts and things like that that come out of, you know, this first, um, I guess what I call archaeological digs or whatever there, it shows that Nimrod was a half-man, and it looks like he's either a half-scaled something, and it's always been said half-fish, but in the archaeological finds and in, in, in the and the paintings or the, or the graphs or whatever we've seen that's been actually etched on buildings and whatever, I find it interesting that it was half and half. And there is a, what I believe is actually a librarian stone. It's telling us that there was a lineage that was half skilled something and half human. And I do believe that that's what was they're still showing, that that was the Cain lineage. It was coming down through history, and it was, you know, Nimrod, you know, shown as being that, and then you look at all of Ham's lineage ends up being part of the pharaohs. And if you look at the pharaohs, and I really encourage, you know, encourage people to go and look at what a pharaoh looks like, the kings, the people who ran things. They all had these huge, humongous skulls. And throughout history, we've been told that those skulls were mashed or whatever. They were not mashed and stitched that way. Those people had these unique, huge and they were all involved with things like the Book of the Dead. Everything was like dead. And, and again, that goes back where, I'm, where I mentioned earlier about where Satan is told to eat the dust of the ground, that the stuff is dead. And I find it interesting that it seems like every time that we find an archaeological discovery, like over uh, around the pyramids, that, you know, those people over there in Egypt want to shut everything down. Just recently there was uh, some underworld kinds of caves that were opened up and was showing how these apparently people were living or beings were living underground and it's like when we get to the point of finding out something then they want to close it up and lock it down and nobody can find out it's almost like let's just keep the conspiracy going and that's what bothers me if if there's not a conspiracy then show it to everybody but right. when you say we're going to lock it up and we can't give it to the common person to know about it because we don't want you to know at this point in time then that's telling me that there's some truth there that they're not ready to release to the public. 
All right, Dr. Joy, we're going to go to the phones uh, here in a moment. But before we do, okay. uh, there's, there's the, the common theme here is a corrupting of, of, certain blood, of a certain bloodline, a bloodline that was ultimately to lead to, through the house of David, the birth of our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. But there is, this, right. there is this attempt, this constant attempt, it seems, to corrupt that bloodline. First, the serpent uh, commingles with um, uh, Eve, and produces Cain, who then uh, slays Abel, uh, perhaps thus ending the, uh, the, the bloodline of, of, of Adam and Eve, forestalling the birth of Christ. Uh, but uh, Adam and Eve have other children, of course. Uh, and then we have the, uh, the, uh, the fallen angels prior to the flood, uh, commingling with uh, the daughters of men, producing this race of giants. And it always puzzled me how in the Old Testament we have this vengeful, wrathful God ordering the Israelites or whomever to go into a, a village and smite the entire village, men, women, and children. And I thought, how could a loving God order innocent children to be uh, slain? But if we look at it in, 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 the, in these, in, with this context... They weren't. They these weren't humans. These were demonic. That's right. These were demo, These were villages inhabited by giants and demonic entities. So it makes sense there. That's exactly right. So then we have uh, Noah and his family. I thought being preserved and uh, because they were they were of pure br- blood, uh, human blood, whereas the rest of the planet basically had been uh, corrupted with the blood of the fallen angels. So then I'm confused as to how Ham, one of the sons of Noah, would then continue on the, I guess, the line of cable through to Satan. Do you follow That's me? That's right. Yeah. I'm confused as to how that would happen. Wasn't Noah and his family, were they not pre- preserved, allowed to survive the flood be- for that very reason, because they were pure blood? Uh, Noah was pure blood. And I think that what we're missing when we've, we've, we've heard the stories of Noah and we have not read that in context of what the Bible is specifically saying, if you read, it seems that Japheth and Shem were in fact brothers, but that Ham was either not, he, he was Noah's son, but he was not of the same mother that Japheth and Shem were. Nowhere in the Bible do we get a name for either three of those sons of Noah's mother. And it's interesting to me that it, after there is a, you know, they've gone through the flood, that apparently Ham comes in upon, and it says that he, sh- you know, that he sees his father's nakedness. And when I went back and looked at nakedness, I found that the nakedness means Still back as like a sexual act, and of course, there's been speculation that he had a homosexual relationship with, you know, his father Noah. I, I don't believe that. I, I, I found that as being uh, in some of the t- context of some of the Masonic uh, history books that I was able to get my hands on. But I fully believe that he had a relationship with the mother, and that is how I believe that there was a curse that Noah placed on. Ham's son. He didn't curse Ham. He cursed his son. He cursed his lineage. And I think that is where the curse was. Now, the, the women, but, you know, I, I 
been doing the research again, looking at the kinds of animals that was put on the ark. There was clean and there was unclean. And I had never paid attention that there were seven pairs of clean animals and one pair of unclean animals. And I thought, well, was there also a ratio of human beings seven to one total, you know, that something was not right there, that there had to be something, and, and, and you know, there, it, there had to be a reason. And some people say, well, why didn't God just, you know, take care of all the bad stuff and leave it behind? But there was a reason some of that came through the flood. And, um, and I do believe that Ham had a relationship with his mother, and that is why you find all the archaeological finds in, uh, in regard to Nimrod marrying his mother and having children, that it was a handed-down lineage of some sort. Okay, let me get to that the... That f- line pure. All right, let me get to the phones. And, and Nimrod, of course, became sort of the first empire builder, built the Tower of Babel. Uh, might, yes. Some might even look to Nimrod as being the great-great-great-great-great-grandfather uh, of the New World Order. Let's uh, say hello to Bob in Beamsville. Good evening, Bob. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Good evening. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Beamsville, Ontario? Right. All right, Beamsville checking in. Go ahead. You're on the line with Dr. Joy Pugh. I think the mistake students of the Bible are making is to think that God is a mere mortal and got miffed because a directive of his was disobeyed. And then, because he was miffed, then he had to produce a son to make up for his state of mind. And that's just a childish way of looking at it. Uh, I would like to compare that business of the apple in the Garden of Eden with an army camp that has a cannon sitting at one edge, a cannon that's loaded and cocked. And a child, an army brat, wanders around the camp and is told, whatever you do, do not pull that lanyard. Lanyard's a rope that fires the canyon, the cannon. And time goes along, but one day the child decides to give it a jerk. Oops, the cannon fires, and it happens a shell goes out and does tremendous damage. But the child says... I only pulled a little piece of rope. Now, that's one. I have only one more point to make. People are overlooking something that's in the Bible. Didn't it is written that God says, on the day, now you'll have to for, forgive me, I don't remember the exact words, but on the day that you take the apple, you will surely die. Adam and Eve had children. And they spread through the world. But remember, the moment that Adam and Eve took that apple, they were dead. No more Adam and Eve alive on this earth. Sometime later, after the cataclysm that occurred then, their children started coming back to, what happened over there? What happened to Daddy or what happened to Grandpa? But the the Adam and Eve that is written, that they're writing about in the Bible, after the business of the apples, are not the originals. The originals were dead at that time that the apple was taken. All right. Thank you for that, uh, the, the call of Beamsville. I, I, I don't believe that apple is ever mentioned in the Bible. I don't think there was an apple involved whatsoever. And as far as I re- recall, 
Uh, Adam lived a very, very long uh, 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 life. Uh, however, uh, let's... Uh, uh, Dr. Joy, did you want to respond to anything before we move to the next call? Well, the thing about it is is that uh, in, in God's timeline, I look at, you know, a day, it says, is it like a thousand years. And, of course, we know that... Uh, the lineage as far as Adam, he never lived to be a thousand years old, so he didn't even live the day out as far as in God's time. All right. Uh, Keith is in Rochester. Hello, Keith. Yes, I have three comments and questions. Beyond the flash of anger that prompted and took his brother's life, the real evil of Cain was the conscious afterthought of hiding the body so God would not find out. That right there surpasses Eve enticing Adam to eat from the eat from, enticing Adam from eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge. In other words, God should have known that human beings are always going to try and have superior, advanced knowledge. Uh, but Cain was evil in formulating thought. Uh, Adam and Eve were just enticed by, uh, yes, they were told not to eat from the tree, but there was no evil there. The evil on Cain was the conscious forethought. I also wanted to ask about the number 666. I uh, heard many years ago that in the Bible that, in fact, the devil's number is listed as being 661, and I was wondering if... Uh, for whatever reason, beyond the easy, that 666 is easy to remember or that it is the sign of a cloven hoof. Uh, I've, I've heard that 661 is the true number. And I also wanted to comment, you were saying before about the Antichrist, and people always use that phrase that the Antichrist is going to take the uh, center stage on the, world, uh, on the world stage of things, but the merging of good and evil is much more complex and I'm just wondering uh, if there's evil working in the background, whether there's even a need for an antichrist or a devil, that the way things really work in a very complicated life, uh, evil just happens in so far as there is evil and there is good, and sometimes the two just come together. And I'm just wondering, uh, let's say in 3,000 years, if we came back, the true climax would be uh, that... Uh, the two had gotten together, good and evil, and uh, what we now think is good and evil, and so far as our mortal bodies, you stated that the big uh, gift, that the, the uh, main prize was us as human beings. Maybe we're just mere specks in the universe, and that we're, we're not that grandiose after all, and maybe the devil or the antichrist, uh, they have visions of things much more spectacular than simply taking the souls of us mere mortals. All right. Thank you for that uh, call, Keith, in Rochester. Uh, uh, Dr. Joy, did you want to respond to any, uh, any of those, well, that I multitude of that, comments? Uh, we've got to look at what paradise was uh, set up for, and until the serpent with this particular knowledge was involved, it stopped whatever it was going to progress and, you know, at that point. And when you look at the book of Revelation, you see that we're going back to that point. And that point is that you cannot have evil cohabitating with good. It's going to be separated out and finished. So there's apparently a work that must occur now 
that we were put out of paradise to go through what we are going through. But we are heading back, and it's got to parallel again, because because there was a serpent in in the garden, there's going to be a red serpent at the end of time. And that person is going to be masquerading exactly like he was doing to Eve before we go into paradise to confuse and to trick anyone who's not paying attention to what good is all about. Uh, and I think it, that's imperative to know that we are doing a parallel history of uh, from the beginning to the end. All right, listen, when we come back, we'll talk about the illuminated ones that are behind this ancient secret plot to pave the way for the arrival of the Antichrist. These illumined ones that trace their lineage back through the house of David, but through the line of Cain, the cursed line, the son, or the spawn rather, of the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Eden, the knowledge of good and evil. Dr. Joyce Pugh right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Dr. Joy Pugh is with me. The book is Eden, the Knowledge of Good and Evil. And if uh, you go to my website, richardserrett.com, S-Y-R-E-T-T, richardserrett.com. And uh, I was just on there a moment ago. There are 400 people online at the moment logged onto the website, which is a testament to the, uh, the interest uh, people have uh, in, uh, in you, Dr. Joy. But uh, uh, on the, uh, the website, if you click on uh, Dr. Joy's name on the home page, it'll take you right to her website, which is drjoy.com, D-R-J-O-Y-E.com, www.drjoy.com. The Illuminati. Now, uh, you know, we, 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 uh, we talk a lot about uh, sort of the, the unseen hand on this program and who is pulling the strings and who ultimately runs the world. Is it the Bilderbergs? Is it the Masons? Is it the Trilateral Commission? And uh, I mean, ultimately, I've always just talked about a, a, a group of incredibly powerful, wealthy people that, we, that, that act on their, in their own self-interest. And uh, uh, some, some would take it further. Uh, they talk about the Illuminati. Now, who, who is, in your mind, Dr. Joy, who are the Illuminati? I really believe that it's the 13 bloodlines that I explained really have come from Ham's lineage because of that coat of arms that uh, apparently was of Ham's lineage that became the Egyptian pharaohs, that first mark of X. It was the first coat of arms to represent the imperial and royal court of the dragon, and that all happened in Egypt around uh, 2070 B.C. That particular mark was a circle. And it looked like a serpent swallowing its tail with an X inside of it, like an all-seeing eye. 
And it seems that when we talk about Illuminati today, we talk about the pyramid with the all-seeing eyes representing someone who's been constantly watching. And I find that very interesting because the watchers that we mentioned about before, the flood, were these spiritual beings that were watching. So there seems to be a connection between someone watching an eye, you know, an all-seeing eye, watching everything that's going on. And the fact that those, um, you know, these coats of arms keep showing up, and, I mean, they, they still show up on the royal family. They show up in the Vatican. Those same X marks with those circles, they're still, you know, they're still here with us today. And in my book, I explain that that's kind of a marking that you can find out and kind of trace back because from the point of the Egyptians start looking at things like the Asenis, and their mystical teachings of Kabbalah and raising the serpent of the spine, and you find out, like I did, that Judas Iscariot, who was a part of um, the 12 disciples that Jesus supposedly picked, that he, in fact, was an Asini. He was an assassin. And that's a part of a secret society who was involved in underground workings. And we know that one of the things that Satan did, he took Jesus and said, hey, you know, if you'll... If you'll do what I ask you to do, I'll give you the world. So it's showing you that Satan had power. He had authority, apparently, over the power of the air of the world, and he could dictate who was going to be like the kings and the princes and whatever. So when I began to see that there was a connection between the Essenes that moved right on into the Rex Dias bloodlines, into the priority of, of uh, Zion, and then from that point, looking at okay, yeah, now I got to stop you there because hold it, Doctor Joe, I got to I got to stop you there because I I um the, when we get into that area, the, uh, the 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 Priory of Zion, I I um I, I think that has been adequately, you know, the protocols. I don't want to even even uh, contemplate that on this program. I, I I just that's a very nefarious area to get into. Uh, let's talk about. Um, However, you talk about the, the, the serpent on the coat of arms, uh, which we do see in many of the royal houses. So there is obviously an element of that line um, uh, that is present. Is that what you're saying, that is present, that is married into the various houses, for example, of, uh, of the royal houses of Europe? Right. And if you, if you look at, uh, you know, like the, the Order of the Knights Temple, Order of the Hostilers, if you look at what was happening as far as it coming up through those secret societies, because those guys that were part of the Knights Templar were the people who continued to build the Gothic cathedrals on top of the oracle sites all across, really, the magnetic, what you call the, the there's a magnetic grid that runs around the earth, and there's, there's these little dragon nodes and their oracle sites of ancient history that those particular Gothic cathedrals were built on. So that someone had to have the understanding of the megalithic buildings like the Tower of Babel to be able to continue to plot these things, you know, in, in specific areas. And only the Knights Templar apparently had the capability or the knowledge of understanding to put those buildings on those oracle sites for initiation purposes. They were not really to worship uh, Christian, you know, Christianity was not to really acknowledge God, although there's some of the drawings and whatever may be in there, they all got these weird hand signals that's actually 
it's teaching you a whole different, it's like double speak. It's teaching you something totally opposite than what you think it is. And when I saw that there was connections between those secret societies that went on and became the Rosicrucians and, and, and then the Illuminati seems to have developed from that. But these illuminated bloodlines are the people who are behind the aspects of secret societies. They are building a pyramid, Richard, and, and, and so all secret societies, whether they know it or not, actually filter up to the very, very top of this pyramid. It's like a beehive where you have like a queen bee that dictates to the drones and whatever, everything happens. And if you look at the Freemasons and if you look at their um, aprons and whatever, they'll have the beehives and they'll have the pyramids and all that. And that is a structure, hierarchical structure that's being set down. It's at the top of that pyramid, once it gets the person that it's been waiting for uh, throughout history to finally be the head of the structure or the foundation of this world, then it kind of suspended. But what's going to happen is that when this Antichrist has been planned from day one, again, to give the credibility to, to what happened in Eden, is that Satan is going to play like he is Jesus Christ again. And I think he was playing that kind of the good part again in Eden, and he's going to play that again out in the end times. It's a parallel. All right, so... And so... When you, when you look at the connection is how those Illuminati bloodlines have structured themselves throughout history, then you understand that that is the only way that someone could walk in and have the money and the power and the backing to make things happen. All right. Let me um, ask you about the connection. We'll, we'll do this when we come back. The, the connection between UFOs, the UFO phenomena and uh, the Antichrist, or at least the effort by these ancient secret societies to forestall uh, first the birth of Christ and then, I guess, the second coming of Christ. What is the connection with the whole uh, ET UFO phenomena? We'll uh, discuss that with Dr. Joy Pugh and The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett continues after this. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You ate like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. So turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers. And brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Dr. Joy Pugh is with us, Eden, the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, prior to that, another uh, book was uh, 
Antichrist, the cloned image of Jesus Christ. Let's go back to uh, the, uh, the, uh, the time after uh, Christ and the, uh, the relic or the artifact known as the Shroud of Turin. And in that book, The Cloned Image of Jesus Christ, you talk about uh, how blood samples were taken from the shroud. Now, what exactly, who was actually, actually doing that? When did this happen and for what purpose? Well, that was one of the reasons that in my first book, when I wrote about all this, and I was doing research on the Strata Turin simply because I had had a dream that I had had at six years of age, and I felt like I had seen what Jesus Christ looked like. And when I actually beheld the, the Strata Turin back in the, I guess, early part of the 1980s, I was just absolutely mesmerized that that, that image was what I had seen in that dream this person looked like. So where it was... Uh, being told that it was, you know, they weren't sure whether it was the truth or somebody had painted it or whatever. But when I started doing the research on it, because I felt like it was true. I mean, I, I had no, there, there was never a doubt in my mind that this is actually the cross, the burial cross of Jesus. And so I went at it to try to discover exactly what had been done there. And back in 1968, when the Sturt Committee, which was a scientific group of uh, scientists who went in and was allowed to do some research on that, that they were able to take these blood samples from the Strata Turin, and that in, as, in, in aspects of trying to understand what was going on, because no one has really been able to distinguish exactly how that image was imprinted upon that lemon cloth, they were taking and taking take samples and doing whatever to try to pull different things off the shroud to be able to look at it, not only to try to date or try to find out, you know, what, what was there. Was it paint? Was it someone trying to uh, burn the image there? I mean, how, how did it happen? And so, and looking at the, um, the various types of different uh, aspects of, I guess, technology was used to, to look at what they were taking off of there and try to understand about it. But the thing that really stood out to me in the early 80s when I was looking at this was the fact that the blood was taken off of there, and it was actually blood. It was not a red pigment like you've heard so many people say. It was not like a painting. It was not like a burn thing. It was, it was nothing like that. It was actually blood. And that blood was, uh, at that period in time, actually shown to be an X and Y chromosome. That It showed that it was a male. It had uh, the apparent lineage of, uh, of Jewish lineage. And then on top of that, it was that there was something unique about that blood. And, and then I couldn't find anything else after that. It was almost like it was kind of kept quiet, like we mentioned earlier about, you know, the underground tunnels there in Egypt or whatever, that they would let a little bit out, and then you couldn't get any other documentation. Or if you did get the documentation or if I did get research, you know, reports and whatever, case studies of what had been done, it was almost like they were trying to keep you from going any further by saying, well, you know, we're not sure if it's real or whatever. It was to keep it in that conspiracy Realm, and I, I personally think it was done because the time was not right for it to be revealed that what was going to happen with this blood would have been accepted. Uh, when I started talking about cloning, I mean, in my first book, that was before anybody had ever said something could be cloned, and people would look at me and say, "Oh, Joy, where did you get this?" But I had done a lot of research on Hitler, and Hitler had very much wanted to get his hands on the Strata Turin. There was a major connection to the Vatican, Hitler, and the Strata Turin. And, um, and when I started looking at the cloning aspects that his scientists were doing underground, 
I was able to discover that really climbing was not a, a major issue whatsoever, that it was quite simple. And that all it would require was a good uh, blood sample or if you had skin cells or whatever, and you would just hollow out an egg from a woman and you would take that skin cell or the blood cell and put it in there and then you would electrocute it or electric, you know, give it some kind of electric little shock, it would cause the cell to start dividing. And I thought, oh, wow, this is, this is pretty interesting because then you could potentially uh, develop a man from the Shroud of Korea. And, of course, my first thoughts when I was doing this back in the 1980s and looking at this, I was like, oh, if I could clone anybody, who would I clone? I was just kind of excited about it. And I said the first person in my mind thought was like, you know, Jesus Christ, that's who I would want to clone. Because he would have the answers. He would be, you know, what we've always read about in the Bible. He could heal. He could do whatever. And then having done the research for my first book, it was, uh, I was just, you know, just blown away one day. I was riding down the road with my grandmother, and I just, just slammed on brakes, and I was like, I know how the Antichrist is going to come to power. And she was just looking at me kind of weird because she had, you know, was in her close to 90 years of age, and she knew that I had been studying this really for a long, long, long time. And I told her, I, you know, explained to her what I was, my thoughts were in regard to this because I was like, everybody will know if the Antichrist comes to power, he's in a little red suit or he's like Hitler or whatever. It's not going to work. It can't work because anybody that would have the Antichrist within them would be able to extract the Antichrist because it could, it could be exercised out like a demon. He can't have that happen. He would have to be in a body that didn't have a soul. And so when I started looking at what, what you could clone and what would happen, then, of course, now, you know, my theories are all been proved true because when you start looking at cloning cells and you take uh, germ cells and, and uh, reproductive cells and then they turn into somatic cells, then if you start saying, well, I want to fix um, your brain, for example, we can take stem cells and we can make them into, you know, neuro, neuro, neurons or whatever, but when we add that into your body, then your mind, the part that's there that's you, is gone. So I began to see that you couldn't take and fix a person to make them be cloned over and be the same person, that somewhere you lose who you are. So that it was like, okay, you have everybody that's here, that's human, has a soul. So when I went back and looked at the Jewish Talmud, they were showing about that there were these beasts of the field that didn't have a soul. And I saw that there was some connections to how this had been kind of brought underhandedly throughout history and had been kind of told in science fiction kinds of things about these golems that could be like a Frankenstein. To me, the book Frankenstein is a perfect example. It's interesting to me that to get him to live, they electrocuted him. I mean, it, there was just there was some connections there. Okay, so and so, so it, I was like, uh, so they I mean, obviously the the um, the illuminated ones wanted to get these blood samples from the shroud in order to uh, clone Jesus. This uh, this clone that would uh, on uh, would outwardly appear to be. Uh, Jesus would deceive uh, the masses into thinking, ah, this is the second coming of Christ, we'll follow him, but it's only the outer shell of Jesus. In fact, it contains, it contains, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, it contains the Antichrist's uh, uh, soul. I don't know if I can use the word soul. I don't know if the Antichrist has a soul. <laughs> but uh, uh, but you, you mentioned that Hitler wanted to, to get a hold of the Shroud of Turin. Was it for the same reason? He wanted to, to clone it as well? I absolutely believe that's what it was all about, and I think he was trying so desperately 
when he had uh, the accessibility to the Jewish people to be able to do the testing that he did on those people in those laboratories, he was trying to find a specific genes that matched what I think, because history says that he owned the Shroud, I mean, he owned the Sphere of Destiny. So if there were still blood samples that were there on the Sphere of Destiny, then he would have had access to those samples, as well as looking at the different lineages there that he had as far as the Jews were concerned. So he was doing testing to determine uh, which genes were where. And, uh, as, you know, as I did uh, research on some of Ron White's uh, findings, and, of course, I have uh, some of the videos there of him on my website, uh, in the fact that this blood apparently is alive. And, and going back and talking about Abel, the thing that, that, that was very interesting to me is it said that Abel's blood cried from the ground, you know, that God heard his blood, that his blood was alive. And, you know, people have said, oh, well, the, the, the blood on the shroud is old and it's dead. What they don't understand is, is Jesus' blood is not dead. Jesus' blood is very much alive. Yes, one would and assume... cloning would be very easy. One would assume that the, the DNA uh, on, uh, on that fabric would, would no longer be viable. I mean, let's remember that the shroud survived a fire uh, prior to it being sort of you know, stored away. I'm sure that it was touched by thousands and thousands of human hands, uh, by pilgrims and so forth. But you're saying that obviously we're not talking about, you know, sort of uh, your normal uh, a blood type here. This is uh, the, the blood of the Son of God. Now, if they were to do a, um, uh, a uh, you know, the mitochondrial DNA would, would show uh, Jesus was born of a obviously a Jewish mother, that being Mary. But I would think that the the uh, nuclear DNA would be inconclusive since Jesus did not have a human father. And I think that's the most interesting aspect of it that's never been really brought forward. I think it very very quiet. Even you know even back when in 1995 when I was looking at some of the blood that was tested for the DNA at uh, the Institute of Legal Medicine there. Uh, it seemed to me that the technicians that were looking at all this actually able to isolate at, at 700 base pairs for the DNA. Well, that's a small sample of the DNA. But what they were not telling you is the uniqueness of the blood. And really until, you know, Ron White came out and, and was able to show that that blood was alive, you know, you wonder, you know, why did he die? Of course, we know he died of cancer. But it seems to me that the people who are finding out uh, the truth, lots of times those people end up dead, uh, and, and, it's, and it's by what appears to be either sicknesses or a disease, or they may have, uh, you know, been killed and made it to look like it was suicide or whatever. There you go, the Shroud but, of Turin, Deathless. Listen, we'll take a time out, Dr. Joy. When we come back, obviously we need to find out what happened to the cloned material extracted from the Shroud, uh, and also... We will get back to the connection between UFOs and the Antichrist, as well as George Bush, perhaps Harry Potter, and even Princess Di. Could her murder have had something to do with the rise of the Antichrist? Back with more. Don't go away. Keeping an eye on the New World Order, this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. 
To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. We're still trying to reach uh, Dr. Bill Gibbons to get to the bottom of this mysterious creature pulled from a creek up in northern Ontario, several hundred miles south of Hudson's Bay uh, by the uh, the native community up there. And uh, some are saying that this story could rival Loch Ness, the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll try to get to uh, Dr. Bill Gibbons um, before the program ends to find out, uh, to get his take on it. And uh, also, a note that on uh, Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, I will be on Liquid Lunch uh, with uh, host Hugh Riley. Uh, from thatchannel.com. That's an online uh, a television uh, station, thatchannel.com. Hugh Riley, host of uh, Liquid Lunch, and I'll be uh, the featured guest at 1.30 p.m. Tuesday. And uh, again, thanks to Hugh Riley for speaking to my, uh, my talk radio class at the Toronto Media and Film College last Thursday. He gave a, a wonderful lecture on uh, sort of the future of digital online um, uh, radio and digital online television and uh, uh, everything that you need to know to get started in that uh, terrific field. All right, uh, back to uh, Dr. Joy. Uh, Dr. Joy, the UFO phenomenon. Uh, it's interesting, of course, that uh, uh, Jesus said something to the effect that in the end times, uh, it, it will be as it was in the days of Noah. Well, of course, what was going on in the days of Noah, you know, prior to the flood, we mentioned we had the... Uh, the, the fallen angels basically corrupting the entire bloodline of the planet uh, with, with demon blood, commingling with the daughters of men, creates, creating, you know, the, the Nephilim, races of giants. We have, of course, the story of the, uh, you know, the Titans uh, from Greek mythology, the, uh, the pantheon of the gods, uh, you know, Apollo and Zeus uh, all likely were, in fact, Nephilim, offspring of uh, the fallen angels and, and, uh, and uh, human uh, women. Uh, so it'll, it'll be that way again in the end times. Does that somehow connect up with the UFO phenomenon? Oh, I think it's a direct, uh, reflection of exactly what is happening with the, uh, the abductions that are going on with the, um, the UFO phenomena. It just seems to me that if you start looking at all the different names of what we, you know, we were talked about. We talked about fallen angels, and then we talked about watchers. We talked about Nephilim, but then, you know, through history, we've we've used words like fairies and gnomes and um, succubus, and um, and then right on up to what I would say, aliens. It's just, I think it's the same thing, just packaged with a new name for a different generation, but identically the same. Because if you look at the phenomena, and I and I have had the um, pleasure of being able to work with people who have had these problems, who talk about what happens, who explains uh, how these beings come into the bedroom, how they have, uh, have approached them, how these women feel like that they have been sexually um, manipulated, you know, and, and actually have maybe given birth to some type of fetus that was taken from them. Um, you find that these people are the people that I have dealt with, seem to very be very truthful. They don't appear to have what I would call other DSM-3 or 5 now, uh, you know, problems. In other words, they, they don't fit into the category of being uh, psychotic in, in some way. It appears to me that something very 
what they have felt or have had something happen to them that's very truthful. They are they're telling the truth when they're sitting there and explaining that they can remember these things. They know that what these things look like. They can draw them, and they're very concerned because they don't understand it. And most times, if they try to go into let's see a psychiatrist or whatever, then people who are not familiar with this will want to send them off in a paddy wagon, and so most people won't come forward. So I believe there's a lot more of it going on, but people are so skeptical about coming and talking to people about it that they just put it, you know, they just live with it, or they drink, or they take drugs, or whatever, to kind of deal with what's happening to them. But I think that this is a real problem all over the world. It's not something that's localized, let's just say, in the United States or in Canada. We're talking about this happening worldwide. And the phenomenon is not getting less. It's increasing because of the numbers of people that I deal with and the things that they are saying, it appears that we have gone from one step into abduction until now we're having people who are coming forth and saying, I've been in an underground facility. I've seen these beings. They're making these bodies that look clone-like or look like someone I've seen before. So I think we're moving into a real mixing, and I think that goes back to what you know uh, Daniel specifically said about the clay and the iron, that there's going to be something that's got to stop that mixing that's going to be happening in the times. And I think that we're starting to see, especially in people who are coming forth and saying these in these abduction you know, experiences, that they're actually seeing these, these terrible things happening in underground bunkers where these... It appears to be like a skin that's growing, and they're being able to use like a uh, a, a cylinder full of fluid that allows the the tissue to grow. And of course, I show this in in my book Eden that you know the first tumor that was taken out of a woman is still alive because you can keep you actually keep flesh alive in a petri dish if you feed it. So the problem of being able to manufacture flesh that will live forever is a possibility. And, and, you know, if you stop and think about it, even in the book of Revelation, it says that there will come a time in our history where people will want to die and they cannot die. So that tells me that we're getting to the point of being able to stop the so-called death gene. In other words, the telomeres is on the end of our DNA that somebody's going to say, we can stop that and you'll stop cellular aging. At that point, you won't be able to die. All right, let's go to the phones and uh, say hello to Linda in Brampton, Ontario. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to comment on, she was talking about the serpent bloodline in the royal family. Uh, there's an article on the Internet called Serving the Dragon, and he lists a number of sources. He's got a, he has about three pages of footnotes, and he talks about the serpent bloodline in America and that the word America derives from an ancient word called Amarica, which has a number of translations, one of them being the land of the wise serpents, but it, it also could be the land of the immortals, the kingdom of the serpents, or the land of the serpent races. You have examples like the Hopi snake clan. You also have the Iroquois, which the Algonquin called the Iroquois snakes, or real snakes. That's an Algonquin uh, dialect. And uh, uh, the Iroquois do not dispute that. They have adopted that name. And basically what he's stating is that the serpent race is not only alive and well in America or America or the Americas, but it is the dominant force in every aspect of society. And even so-called regular people could very well have this bloodline. Um, another point that he makes 
is that uh, the cross that's used in America, particularly the evangelical church. Now, I'm not saying that all evangelicals are of this bloodline. There are, you know, that's obviously not the case, and I, he's not saying that either. But he's saying that the leadership and the, what's crept into the church there it has nothing to do with the Bible. That the cross is actually a pagan satanic symbol. It's not the Christian cross. It is the crossing of the demonic. Uh, seed with human beings and how that is the dominant force. So I believe according to all these things that the Antichrist could very well and very likely not only come out of America or America, he could actually come out of a one of these strange churches. He could be probably a church member and is probably hidden in plain sight right in front of Christians right in front of Christians' faces. And I think that's uh very likely something that the devil would do, since he is the father of lies and the father of deception. Linda, thank you for that uh, call in Brampton. Well, it, it's it would stand to reason that uh, that most of us probably would have some, dare I say, satanic blood uh, in us. Uh, um, I mean, we are, you know, are we are potentially, uh, uh, you know angels and and devils each and every one of us i mean that that speaks to our fallen nature does it not dr joy well i do think that the problem was that that there was a a a situation where god wanted very much to keep those lineages pure and that was one of the reasons he told moses and the boys to take care of a you know killing the male you know the men women and the children of those lineages and of course Unfortunately, they didn't do that, but they intermarried, and of course, that's where we get all the intermarriages um, there, you know, between the Babylons and and the Jews and that kind of thing. And then they get, became a mixture of everything. And and there's a possibility that that is why there is what I call the pineal gland. It's in our our forehead that we have to be very careful about raising the serpent up into that area because of some of the things that I've been able to research and find, and which I mentioned in my book, Eden, about the power of it because it is a quartz-like membrane that seems to be, to me, from what I've done the research on, is like a transmitter. In other words, you have a transmitter and a transceiver in your head. And I think when it says in the Bible about, you know, if your eye is, you know, in light, it's, you know, it's light, and if it's not, it's in darkness. I think that we're dealing with something that's in all of us that we have to have self-control over and that we have to make a choice, and that that is the reason that the 144,000 are sealed at the end of time, because if they, at the very end, if they were not sealed, their ability to stop or be able to fight an Antichrist would be impossible. If you have a receiver, and I fully believe that the heart projects and all the other things, the cell phones where they have the transreceivers and things that you can use beacons and you can bounce stuff off the ionosphere, that there will come a time when this this person that I that I truly believe is walking in in the, in the flesh of Jesus now, when they had the power to say something and it was it would be able to be beamed to every one of us to receive. If you don't have a way to seal yourself from that, you could not fight an outside source that would be taken over your body and All right. taken away your free will. Dr. Joy, when we come back, let's uh, talk about the connection between what some strongly be- believe was the murder of uh, Lady Di 
and uh, this whole conspiracy to set the stage for the arrival of the Antichrist in this generation. Eden, the knowledge of good and evil, 666 with Dr. Joy Pugh. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Passcodes, personal identification numbers, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. All right, not sure if we're going to be able to uh, to reach uh, or, or to get Dr. Bill Gibbons on the show tonight to talk about this creature that they've pulled from a, a creek up in northern Ontario. We, we are in email contact, but... Uh, uh, I don't know if Bill is going to be able to get home and get to a phone in time to do the show, but he did send along an email. And uh, according uh, to Dr. Bill Gibbons, CryptoMundo.com, and of course, uh, Dr. Uh, or uh, uh, Lauren Coleman uh, runs uh, the CryptoMundo website. Lauren Coleman is a uh, one of the great cryptozoologists in the world today. And uh, uh, according to Lauren, it, it's looking like this creature, this monster, quote, end quote, pulled from a creek may in fact just be a mink. But if you go to CryptoMundo.com, you can see the photos for yourself. And in fact, it does in fact look like a mink. All right. A few moments uh, remain with uh, Dr. Joy Pugh, author of Eden, The Knowledge of Good and Evil, 666. Uh, we go back earlier to the um, efforts of the Illuminati to extract DNA uh, samples from the Shroud of Turin, who many believe to be the actual burial cloth of Jesus and therefore containing his, his actual blood. Uh, so they, they, the Illuminati uh, cloned Jesus. They essentially, I guess, created an egg. Uh, what happened to that uh, DNA material? Well, you know, it's interesting. Not too long ago, I received some information in regard to that there was a recall that the, of course, the owner of the, the, the shroud is, in fact, the Pope, and that his people were asking for all the samples to be returned. That They were very upset that those samples had been taken and some of the things that had been done with those samples. In fact, Several of the people who were a part of that are now deceased. And, again, some of the strangest circumstances can happen to some of these people that supposedly had access to some of this this shroud information from way back when it was being first, what I would say, uh, evaluated. And uh, now for them to call and say, you know, we want everything back, return everything back, we don't want anything out there that was never authorized or whatever, I find that very interesting after all these years. I mean, we're talking about like 1968. Why wasn't it, why wasn't somebody watching and saying, well, we don't want you to take that out or we want you to do this or whatever? It was, again, it was set up to find information, to put a little bit of information out, and it's a gradual release of information. And then it will come back and say, oh, this is not right, or this this can't be done, or this is a, a cloth that's only like, you know, probably was painted by Da Vinci. I mean, we've heard everything that you can imagine, but when you go back and you look at all the scientific evidence, 
it proves to you, if you look at the space napkin that's over in Avita, Spain, has been there really since the early, even before 500 uh, A.D., that if you look at that and it matches the shroud, it proves the shroud to be authentic just by being able to match the blood samples and, and the places of the blood that's on the shroud. I mean, it's, it's, it absolutely proves that it was not a photograph, that it was not a setup situation. It was, in fact, the shroud that wrapped Jesus Christ. And it's interesting to me, but we were talking about Diana, is the fact that Princess Diana was was actually, of course, I think brought into the House of Windsor for several reasons. And the fact that the House of Windsor really stems from the House of Hanover. And, of course, it was supposed to have superseded, really, uh, the House of Stuart. And we know that the House of Stuart is where, you know, your King, King James and the people who supposedly had connections back to the king or the lineage of David. And for some reason, it was almost like that they had kept Charles from marrying. And, and of course, you know, I look at Camilla, and I'm like, okay, he was in love with her all this time. Why didn't he marry her in the beginning? But instead, he waited and waited and waited until this Diana was 19 years old. And, of course, according to all the the witchcraft stuff that I've ever had a, a chance to read about bringing the Antichrist into power, it was always like, the person was going to be a virgin that had to be 19 years old. It was all these little set-up things that had to occur. But it was interesting to me that for some reason, the House of Windsor, who is, a, in fact, if people don't know, they've changed their names you know, from what they really were because they were Germans. And they really wanted to anglicize themselves and keep anybody from really knowing there was a connection to Hitler, which there was a very definite connection to Hitler. And the fact that they brought in Diana and they took her away from really from her family and kept her kind of hidden away, and then, you know, Big Charles walks in and supposedly uh, they get married and they have this big to-do, and then when Diana is so unhappy and she starts doing these interviews and everything, she immediately starts saying, you know, Charles never loved me. She knew it from the get-go, but she couldn't get out of it. Why couldn't she get out of it? There was all these little issues going on. And then on top of that, when she gets pregnant, she attempts to kill herself three different times, you know, throwing herself down the stairwell, trying to kill her and the baby. Why was she trying so desperately to kill the baby? And the situation where she mentions uh, in one of the books that she did with one of her friends about the possibility that, you know, that for something was very strange about their wedding night, and Charles was reading all this black magic voodoo stuff. And I'm like, okay. And then on top of that, she tells that Camilla's given him some, uh, you know, cufflinks as a present, and that there was still a connection to, to him and her that should have never been there if he was in love with Diana. So it shows he never was in love with Diana, that he was being set up to do what he had to do, when he got it all done, Diana's dead, he can move forward, and he can marry Camilla. So there's a whole process of why all this happened, but it all ties to the fact that Diana had the lineage that was needed to make this all look credible on paper. In other words, and you're saying she was she her lineage goes back to the 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 uh, the Stuart uh, the Stuarts, the uh, the kings and the kings of Scotland who. Uh, who gave us uh, uh, King Charles I and King James, uh, and the uh, the Stuarts 
could trace their lineage back through the house of David, but through the Cain side. Correct? That's right, and they're uniting, really, they're, they're uniting uh, ev- good and evil. That's <laughs> what it amounts to. They're uniting good and evil for the purpose of bringing about the Antichrist. We're going back again. We talk about, I try to show this as parallels. When you talk about a tree, you're talking about the branches of the tree. And the Bible also, you know, it talks about the vine and the, and, and how the vine of the tree does this or that. Throughout history in the Bible, it talks about that, about the lineages. The tree that it's talking about is the good and evil tree. And we're seeing that good and evil tree being put together by these two houses. And, uh, and it was for the purpose to bring about Satan into this world. So you're and, suggesting that and, the egg, the DNA material that was inserted into an egg, the DNA extracted from the Shroud of Turin to clone Jesus Christ, that was implanted into Princess Diana. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that that's exactly what happened. But that's, she but based even on, made the comment that she was absolutely used as a birthing chamber. She made that comment, and, and I think, you know, when I look back at some of the tapes and things, that I've watched over and over again, the poor woman looks to me like she's trying desperately to say the words to a listening public who doesn't understand what she's telling them. Well, a birthing chamber, a birthing, slaughter. a birthing chamber in the sense that she was brought on to produce an heir and a spare. But why would you read into it more than that? Because I think that if, if it had been just for the purpose of just doing that. I don't think that Charles would have been as he ended up being and turn around and marrying Camilla and doing what he's done. I also think that the sadness that you see in Diana is not a sadness so much of, um, well, I've been upstaged by another woman or whatever. There was something much more sinister going on because I do believe that she actually told her first bodyguard, what was happening. And to prove to her, to keep her mouth shut, they killed him. I fully believe the Windsors killed him. And Diana herself also said that, you know, what she would want to tell the world would shock the world. That was kind of the same thing that you, you know, heard Marilyn Monroe say, that I I know this information and it's going to shock the world. And what does Elton John do but come in sing a song that he wrote for Mar- you know, Marilyn Monroe, and she turns around and changes it to Diana. And then all of a sudden, who knights him as Sir Elton John, but the Queen? So there's too much coincidence of, of what she was saying. I think that, um, I really think Diana was hoping somebody out there was listening who understood how the serpent lineage works, and that she was trying to say to everybody, look, everybody, I've been abused. This is what's going on. I can't come out and just say this because she called. I mean, she literally called the Windsor family serpents. She even made a, you know, context words, you know, they're serpents, they're lizards. So you, it may be if I was going to talk to somebody and say, well, those people are really mean or they're whatever, but the, she's using words that if you do this study and you understand what's going on, it makes all the sense in the world. So you're, you're um, saying then, and this is where it gets, well, quite frankly, really strange, uh, Dr. Joy, you're saying that that would mean 
Prince William. She gave birth to the, the, the Antichrist, and that's Prince William. Yes. I, this is the thing that just has got, you know, has, and you can go to my website and look. You know, having, having what I truly believe is the Strata Turin, being real. Why or how? Let me just say this. If for some reason you wanted your child to look like Jesus, okay. But what if it was more for a sinister aspect? I mean, it's one thing to say, um, you know, I'm recloned from a, a Egyptian pharaoh or I'm recloned from something whatever. But the fact is that William has all the dimensions of the face and body of that shroud. And my concern would be, why did they need to just do that? Was it for fun or for some other reason? And when you talk about that their lineages are the lineages of the serpent, and then we talk about what, you know, the book of Revelation says, and I, and, I, and I just keep you know thinking about when John the Revelator talked about the word Antichrist, he, he said it was an image. He said, and in fact, he called the Greek translation of really of that word image is pneuma. And that is the strangest word that I've ever seen used for life in the New Testament. And it, he only uses, John the Revelator used that term four times to describe Antichrist. So pneuma means a quasi-form of life. In other words, it's kind of like what it would translate to our word like icon or a statue of a famous person. Right. But hold so on. I think that John... Does, does, doc, does, does, does William... Does, I mean, does his name numerologically even work out to 666? Uh, and, 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 the, and more importantly, perhaps, I mean, we're told that the Antichrist is going to have to be... He's going to have to be able to convince not only the Christian world that he's the second coming of Christ, but he's going to have to convince the Muslim world that he is... The eleventh or twelfth Imam, uh, I forget. I'm sorry, I've forgotten if it's the eleventh or twelfth. He'll have to convince uh, Jews that he's the Messiah. He'll have to convince Buddhists that he is the uh, the Maitreya. Uh, how is you know this charming young uh, a man who seems to be so uh, soft spoken and and, and 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 have seems to have very little aspirations even to assume to the throne? How is he going to accomplish all that? Well, you know, I looked at this, and I'm like, when you see an icon or statue of Jesus or Mary cry, and you have miracles happen, people flock to that. I mean, they will they will flock to a piece of toast that's got what they think is an image of Jesus on it, especially if somebody says, well, I was healed or whatever. Our world is coming down to a point in time where things are going to get really, really bad, and even, you know, we... we Think back to what Ronald Reagan and Gorbachev talked about. They said if we were, you know, had a problem or threat from outer space, that we would turn a, 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 a group of humanity to fight for the world, and sometimes we would be looking for a savior. And it wouldn't matter where they were really a demon or whatever, as long as they could save us. We're going to go through some terrible times, according to what the Bible says, and people are going to be looking for what they believe can save them. The cloning of animals has proven that they are able to manufacture exactly a duplicate of the original. If a person stands in that image and they're able to transcend and use what I call miraculous uh, capability, 
And Satan has the capability of the power of the air. He will be able to do whatever to make it appear that he, in fact, is who he says he is. That is why we're seeing right now you can't tell a lot of truth from a lie. The Internet, you may believe this says one thing, and the next day they come up and say that's a hoax and whatever, and then you're like, okay, who do you believe? Was it really a hoax? Was it not a hoax? Why would anybody do a hoax? I mean, it's getting to the point where the game is being played where you cannot tell what is correct. The more you look at the biologically what we are doing, we're mixing plants, we're mixing animals, we're doing all kinds of weird things, you know, that's causing other situations. We're setting ourselves up to have to look to a person or to something to typically word save us. And so when, when when the world gets to this point, and it's coming, it's going to that, it's going to come to this point. We already see the the manifestation of the increase in the uh, hurricanes and the number of uh, earthquakes and all the pestilences and all the different kinds of things that's happening to mankind's bodies. We're we're already getting to the point of what the Bible says is going to start happening as far as end times things occurring. And when you look at this. And you see that the Bible has told us as these things happen, this man's going to walk in and say, I'm God, I'm standing in the, in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Yeah, but I'm just, I'm, Dr. When, Joy, I'm still trying to wrap my head around uh, uh, Prince William as the Antichrist. And, uh, I mean, aside from perhaps having some resemblance to the image of Christ on the shroud, I mean, what other evidence could you offer an incredulous... Uh, a public, for example, the, the, when when he was born, uh, I mean, what were the circumstances uh, of of his of his birth? Do we have any eyewitnesses who you know talk about some something strange about the birth or anything like that? Well, the fact that he was actually born on the uh, on the solstice, and of course that was very interesting to me that they had never had a um, uh, any of the royal family had never been born in a hospital. And, of course, it was like it was set up, and someone says, well, why was he in the hospital? Of course, the hospital was named St. Mary. And uh, they were saying, well, they had to have him be born at a certain time because Charles had an engagement that he had to attend. So, in other words, it was like labor was induced or whatever to make him be born on that specific time frame during that specific moment being brought into, you know, to, to being as far as the baby being born. And I thought it was really strange that even when they went to christen him, and typically they would have, you know, these big christenings for uh, the other royal family members throughout history, but instead they had theirs kind of in a little secluded area there, and they used the water from the River Jordan uh, to baptize William, and the people who were there were able to uh, to witness it said that he howled, and I thought that was very strange because I know that babies may cry, but the term howled would be what I would use in an exorcism where we have seen you know cases of exorcism and, and watched cases of exorcisms. When holy water is sprinkled upon a person who is full of a demonic being, they will howl. And I thought it was very strange that the word howl may have been used to uh, to tell those that were, uh, of, I guess what I would say, of the illuminated 
bloodlines that, in fact, uh, they had Antichrist right where he was supposed to be and could prove he was there. Well, there you have it. Uh, obviously, a pretty controversial, uh, but nevertheless intriguing bit of research by uh, Dr. Joy. And again, the book is Eden, The Knowledge of Good and Evil. And it's also available now in uh, as an audio, as a CD. And uh, Dr. Joy, if people want to order that, how do they do so? You, you can just go directly to my website at uh, www.drjoye.com. And there's several links. I mean, it's available uh, online. Most Armageddon or either Amazon or Tate or just any of the links there that you want to click. Barnes and Nobles, you can order. You can order the book. All right. Always a pleasure. And uh, thanks again for this, Dr. Joy. Fascinating. Well, listen. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me as your guest, Richard. All right. Thank you. A few words about uh, upcoming shows on the other side. My name is Richard Serrett. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Things are starting to heat up, not only weather-wise, but uh, here on the show, the Conspiracy Show here at AM 740. You've heard me speak of my uh, talk radio uh, course, 13-week course, 39 hours that I'm uh, teaching at uh, the Toronto Media and Film College. And one of the assignments for my students, I mean, I'm actually uh, getting them right into the uh, the business and they are actually uh, helping to produce this show over the next uh, several weeks. So my students are uh, going to be producing uh, programs that you'll be hearing on this show, uh, probably starting in, in June, including a, a two-hour special on Lyme disease. Absolutely frightening. Uh, one of the students presented me with a documentary, and I watched it, and she's busy uh, lining up guests, so there'll be a, a special two hours on Lyme disease. Uh, there'll also be a, a program on uh, uh, the whole sort of survival uh, movement and how to prepare, I guess, for, well, Dr. Joy would call it end times. Others would just call it some cataclysmic event, economic meltdown, what have you. So we'll, uh, we'll get a survival expert uh, on the program, we'll also be doing a program on uh, the lost uh, land of Atlantis. Over the years, you know, I've been doing this show for over ten years, and I've only done one or two shows on Atlantis, so uh, I'm looking forward to that. And also a, a special program on Bohemian Grove. Some call it the uh, the playground of uh, the uh, the Bilderbergs or the Illuminati. We'll find out what's going on in Bohemian Grove. Some very strange things, by all accounts. And uh, perhaps a program on uh, uh, becoming a free man on the land, vying out of this uh, um, money matrix and the, what they call the all-caps fiction. Those are a few of the shows that we're working on. All right, I mentioned my, uh, my niece Claire, who's over in Botswana, and I want to direct you to her blog, uh, her blog online. She's uh, with Project Serve Botswana, and uh, in fact, this weekend she's working on building a house for a family over there 
The website or the uh, the blog is uh, www.claire, C-L-A-I-R-E, claire-botswana.blogspot.com, www.claire-botswana.blogspot.com. And uh, she's over in uh, Gaborone, Botswana. She says, greetings from Gabs. I would thank, I, I would like to thank those who have do- donated and are supporting our efforts to build a home for this family. We recently received a bit of information about the family here with you. The family is made up of seven individuals, all of whom have been orphaned by HIV and AIDS. There are two sisters, one of whom has two children. The other one has one child and two cousins who will be living in the house. Right now, we're not sure of where they're living, but hope to be able to put a roof over their heads. We're so looking forward to next weekend and extremely grateful to be part of something so meaningful for this family. Please continue to pass on the message of our project as we are still not quite at our goal. In other words, they're looking to uh, to raise some money uh, to build this house, and they are in a bit of a shortfall situation. And uh, if you'd like to donate to this, um, this uh, project Serve Botswana and my niece's efforts to build a house for basically this this large family of orphans decimated by uh, by AIDS. Uh, her 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 blog again is Claire, that's C L A I R E Claire hyphen Botswana dot blogspot dot com, and that's my uh, my dear niece over there in Botswana, and she'll be on the show uh, for a few minutes next week. I just want to, if nothing else, to make sure that she's safe and sound, but also uh, I want her to share the, the the wonderful work that she's doing over there. All right, uh, my thanks to uh, Dan Ellison for, as always, his capable work behind the audio board. And uh, also thanks to Dr. Joy Pugh, author of Eden, The Knowledge of Good and Evil. And uh, next week on the program, uh, in all likelihood, from uh, Press for Truth, Dan Dix and Brian Law... The, uh, the young filmmakers responsible for United We Fall, the story of the, uh, the plot to eradicate the sovereign states of Mexico, the United States, and Canada to form one giant super nation, North American Union. Of course, that will be premiering theatrically at uh, the Bloor Cinema here in Toronto on Friday, June the 18th. I'll be presenting the uh, the film, and uh, along with Patrick White from Conspiracy Culture, of course, I'll be conducting a Q&A before the film, and uh, word has it I'm actually in the film, so if you'd like to get tickets, $10, give Patrick a call down at Conspiracy Culture. Conspiracyculture.com is the best way to get a hold of him. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.